Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan. It is always a pleasure to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we cover topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Today, we are talking about dun-dun-dun, ransomware. It is a pretty spooky topic if you ask me, but of course, this podcast aims to uncover solutions to your problems, so we are going to discuss how to stay several steps ahead of hackers with tools that are very likely already available in your network. Uh, I'm intrigued. I hope you are too, so stick around and join us as we dive a bit deeper into this topic. All right, you guys know the flow. Let's start with a quick lightning round of introductions. Justin, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us about your role here at Cisco? Yeah, sure. It's great to be here. So my name is Justin Buchanan. I'm the Senior Director of Product Management. Um, I manage a couple of different uh, products and solutions, the, the main one being Identity Services Engine. And I also lead what we call the security apps on uh, DNA Center. Fantastic. Okay. Then I'm going to go into in, in alphabetical order here. Um, Darren, who are you? Darren Fulwell, I'm um, well a network engineer and architect. I've been for a few years now, um, but I'm currently um, I have the best job title. I'm I'm product evangelist. Um, I work for a, a, a software vendor um, focused on network automation, so that's my uh, my focus these days. So you have the best job title, but I have the best job Fair because play. I get to work with you guys. Fair play. I'll I'll have to give you that. <laughs> All right, Evan, you're up next. Thanks, Emily. Uh, my name is Evan Minster. Uh, yeah, my job title is Information Security Manager. I'm located in the, yeah, it's not as <laughs> not as sexy as Darren's. But, you know. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, there you go. But so I'm located in the suburbs of uh, Philadelphia. I work in the uh, in the healthcare industry. So, uh, and dealing with security is uh, is fun here. All right, Mark, last but not least, tell us about yourself. My name is Mark Lüscher. I'm working for Fresenius Medical Care. I'm also in the security department. I'm product owner of little products like Splunk, XOR, uh, email security. You name it, I do it. Awesome. All right, Justin, uh, set us up here. Uh, anything we should know before we dive into our conversation today? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of ways that Cisco looks at at ransomware. It's really a kind of holistic um, uh, security uh, architecture you have to take. We'll focus mainly today on you know what the products that that I'm responsible for can help to do to prevent ransomware. That's really around segmentation, visibility. Um, how do we make sure that we limit the the blast radius, uh, so to speak? You know, if and when a, a ransomware attack does happen. Yeah, so so Justin, let's let's start with a general question. Certainly. What is what is Cisco seeing, I guess, the state of ransomware in industry these days? Yeah, I think we've seen we actually saw it tail off a little bit um in in 2020. I think uh the the hackers were like the rest of us trying to figure out what was going on with the pandemic. Um we've seen a uh, an uptick uh, early in 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 2021, um, in terms of you know prominent attacks, I think there's been a number in the you know in the in the papers and the news as of late. In general, though, I think the the trend is upward, right? From you know 17, 18, 19, um, you know 20, obviously into 21, and we're seeing a couple different things in in terms of in terms of trend. I think the first is we're seeing 
uh, not only are we starting to see more ransomware um, attacks, but we're actually starting to see you know higher ransoms uh, being paid out. Um, it's a little bit bifurcated um, in terms of the you know the the total dollars that the hackers are are getting. Um, kind of you know. And, and quite frankly, not every ransomware attack is reported, right? I mean, there's a number that go unreported. That are, there's a number of you know companies out there that will quietly pay a ransom that that we don't know about. Um, but that said, it's it's definitely on the rise. I think the numbers, you know, you can look at different numbers. I think the numbers we're seeing from a typical ransomware attack range anywhere from you know 150 thousand to about 300 thousand dollars paid out. Um, and quite frankly, there's not always a guarantee you're going to get that data back, even if you do uh, pay pay the amount back to the uh, back to the ransomware folks. Um, but we've seen attacks, quite frankly, upwards of you know tens of millions of dollars, right, um, having to get paid out to uh, to to hackers to get for for customers to get their data their data back. So that's good. So Justin, so how do you detect ransomware? Because if I read correctly, it's a, it's a lot about detection of anomalies. Can you elaborate a little bit how you do that and how you leverage AI? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, just to be clear, I think most people detect it when they get a pop-up on their laptop that says your data has been held ransom. So that's, that's mainly how, how, folks, uh, how folks tend to detect it. That said, I think what we're... Again, I don't want to get too deep into the security aspect of it here, but there's different types of attacks. There's single stage attacks. There's you know two stage attacks, etc. Um, and the, the the single stage attacks are pretty much like you've downloaded something on your laptop, and then you know boom, it's frozen. I think the the what we are seeing, and 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 maybe back to to Evan's question, we are seeing hackers also get more sophisticated in terms of how they get the the um you know the malicious code into the network right and so they'll find back doors they'll actually reach out to command and control servers they'll encrypt the traffic they'll make it look like normal network traffic so i think mark to answer your question you know what we are ultimately looking for is anomalies that from devices that we don't typically see right um especially and we, we can talk a little bit about the iot side here Right. So let's say we have an IP camera and it somehow wants to, you know, reach out to Facebook or something like that. Right. And so if we start to detect deviations in traffic patterns, that's certainly, you know, one of the ways in which we can detect that, that ransomware has been or, or any sort of attack is, is happening on the network. So you mentioned before that with, with sort of trying to find ways, I suppose, of, of uh, protecting against ransomware, even mm-hmm. even reducing the blast radius. Right. Right. What's the approach there? I mean, uh, segmentation, I guess, is is how to, to to approach that. But how does how do we do that? How do we how do we go about it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you know, there's there's again, like anything, there's different types of segmentation. You know, you can do in in a network today. I think you know, VLANs we know are not enough. Anything that's IP routable from a network perspective, ultimately is is not enough and so how do we you know whether deploy uh, access control lists or you know in our case um, what we call you know uh, uh, SGACLs security group ACLs in order to limit the communication between different types of devices ultimately and so you know we've seen customers do this again a couple of different ways we've seen customers say you know I only want to they may have tens of thousands of devices in their network but there's 20 critical assets that they want to protect right? And so they'll apply, they'll apply segmentation thus just on those 20 critical assets. 
because they know whether it be, you know, again, maybe there's revenue involved, maybe there's sensitive data on those devices, starting with those critical assets and then expanding out. We've seen other, quite frankly, customers, which not always recommended, will say, we want to segment everything out of the gate, right? And so they have, you know, 4,000, 5,000 different segmentation policies out there on their network um, in order to keep devices uh, from communicating uh, with one another. That said, I think, Darren, I mean, again, it really, it really yeah. depends on the customer. Um, but we tend to say, when, when we look at it, we, we tend to say, listen, start with your high-level AD uh, you know, groups, right? Whether it be HR, finance, right? Start to segmentate, segment based upon those um, and then, you know, kind of move, move from there. Obviously, I think very simply, what you want to do is separate critical assets, right? From non-critical assets, again, back to IOT and then ultimately, you know, users um, as well. Right. So that was going to be my, my sort of follow-up question, I suppose, is that obviously um, authentication is great for being able to, to segment certain things, but certain things don't authenticate as they join the network. And so, <laughs> right. and so where, you know, where do you even begin with that? That's, that's my, uh, my big question, I suppose, in my mind. Yeah, I think for the, for, on the IoT side, so there's a number of things that we do today in Cisco that allow customers to get visibility into those IoT devices, right? And so um, we have a profiling on, on ICE today. We have what's called Endpoint Analytics, um, which was recently released in, in DNA Center. And so these are tools that help customers identify what types of devices are, are on their network. And we're, you know, we continue to expand how we, um, how we, how we better identify, I would say, um, you know, from a, you know, machine learning perspective, and quite frankly, from a, a DPI perspective in EA, uh, to make it easier, right? I think in ICE before it was somewhat difficult, there was custom profiles you had to make, right? I, I think, you know, kind of like the uh, hierarchy of needs, like Wi-Fi um, is now on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, network visibility is something I think every network operator needs to needs to have, um, because at least you know what's on the network, and then you can take the right steps ultimately in applying a segmentation policy. Justin, I'm thinking about your 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 comment before. Um, you know, when I think about you know an end user using their laptop to go to Facebook is mm -hmm. normal. Um, right. Your camera. Your IoT devices going to Facebook is not normal. So where do we go from protecting those? Because in IoT, you know, on, on my laptop, I can install an agent, I can install right. any virus, any malware, all these things. I can't do that on a printer or a camera or shop floor devices. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. I think there are a couple of things where we look at when it comes to to IoT devices. And I think not only can you not install an agent, we do know that there's a number of IoT devices out there where you can't even update the OS, right? So, I mean, it's one thing to have the latest OS, which doesn't have any vulnerabilities, right? Um, and no agent. It's another to have a completely unpatched machine that also you can't put, a, you can't put an agent on. And so what we look to do um, with Endpoint Analytics is to find levels of trust, right, based upon those devices. And so we have the ability now to say, you know, this device here has, you know, th this version of OS with, with these known vulnerabilities. And this uh, device here may have a, uh, a different level of OS and a different vulnerability. On top of that, we can then start to look at communication patterns of these devices, right? What is the typical communication pattern? Um, let's take a printer, for instance. Obviously, that printer wants to connect to a print server. The IP camera, like I mentioned before, wants to, you know, communicate with its, you know, 
recording server. And so we can run network baseline tests. We call this, um, this is actually what we call anomaly detection, although it's not anomaly if there's no anomaly, but we're running uh, machine learning baselines to understand what are the typical communication patterns of this device. We're then looking to our customers to say, hey, you know, we've seen this print server reach out to, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's an accounting server. Is this normal? Maybe it is normal, maybe it's not, but at least we're giving customers that visibility into these communication patterns and allowing them to take action based upon a, a normal versus a, a non-normal communication pattern. Okay, Justin, a question now. How long would it take, like, let's say you're a new customer, you want to uh, use one of the Cisco solutions. Yeah. How long would it take from pretty much getting a baseline to having the first real actions which are actionable? Sure, yeah, especially in, I assume you're talking about the anomaly detection piece and that's Correct. a great question. Um, we're continuing to build out our, our database of, of devices. And so usually what we see, um, and every device is unique, right? I mean, just take Cisco phones, there's, I don't know how many, tens of hundreds, maybe not tens of hundreds, but there's a lot of there's a lot of types of Cisco phones out there, right? And so each one of these devices is going to have its unique own unique signature. What we tend to find is a sample set of around 30 to 50 devices for about two weeks gives us the data we need in order to start to form that baseline, right? And then what we're doing is not, you know, you know, AI in a sense, it's actually what we call supervised machine learning. And that we're again establishing this baseline and then reaching back out to customers to say, hey, we've seen this, is it normal? Yes or no? If it is normal, right? Basically, there's just a button that you click and then we'll incorporate that ultimately into, uh, into our baseline. So suffice it to say, 30, you know, 30 plus devices for about two weeks before we can start to give any sort of actionable intelligence. And, and, and I'm intrigued, I mean, to follow on from what Evan was just saying, the, the, the means by which you actually get that insight, the, the way that the, you you extract those analytics mm -hmm. there's got to be the the way you've described it, it sounds like there's multiple different angles to come at here so right um net flow data around yes. conversations yes. what other what other things are you using yeah a lot of it is well let's take let's take the the let's separate it into AIML and then the 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 DPI right so for AIML we are using um we're using net flow data and actually what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the NetFlow data, we're sending that data up into a DNA center kind of as a transport, and then we send it up, we have a AIML cloud um, that we're all, where we store all of that all of that data. And I, I don't know the number of terabytes, maybe it's even petabytes at this point of data that we have, but, uh, but, uh, but it's a lot. And so what we've done then, so once we get that data, we're able to actually parse it, again, using algorithms, the, the anomaly detection algorithm is actually something we developed about four or five years ago. So it's, it has actually nothing new um, to us. We've actually, to be completely frank, we've kind of dusted it off and repurposed it um, for, for IoT security. And so, and so from there, basically, again, we're looking at source, we're looking at destination. Um, those are really the two main, you know, and, and the ports, quite frankly, are, are, the, are kind of the, the main information that we're looking at. Um, and then quite, and then also the, the frequency, right? And so how many times have we seen it reach out to that, this IP address? How many times, right? What is the, what is the amount of traffic that we're seeing to these different IP addresses? And from there, we can ultimately 
uh, determine what the baseline is. And you, and you mentioned um, DPI. Yeah, there's there's obviously other other things going on there as well, right? To, mm-hmm. to bring all that together. Yeah, the, the DPI is really around the the classification piece, right? And so we look at we kind of look at it in three steps. You know, visibility, control, and then kind of the the action or remediation piece. And so the DPI, and we also have ML on the on the visibility piece. The DPI is just saying, you know, this is a camera. It's running this version of OS, right? And these are potentially, you know, the the ports it's communicating on. And so this is this is a change from a Cisco perspective, um, and that we're now running that DPI directly on those nine Ks. Um, where where before, and I think you see a lot of other companies out there. There has to be some sort of span traffic, or you know, some sort of server that collects you, you span NetFlow. Um, with the nine Ks, we have that ability to do it uh, directly on on the switch itself. And for those that are familiar with ICE, um, this is something. On, you know, although EA is on DNA Center, this is something we've been doing on the ICE side for for a long time. Um, we had device sensor on device uh, on ICE. Uh, but that was really not, it wasn't a real-time um, uh, way of collecting data. We were using, you know, CDP, LLDP, you know, some DHCP uh, profiles in order to to really guess what that what that device is. With DPI, we can get much deeper into those packet flows um, and understand exactly, you know, what that device is. So, so understanding the packet flows is great, but what about when encryption comes into play? Yeah, so what we see a lot of times on the IoT devices, we, we know that they're moving to encryption. Like we all we all know at some point, uh, these devices will 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 ultimately be encrypted. And I think there's a couple there's a couple of things there. Um, for for better or worse, um, a lot of these devices, IoT devices, were developed you know five plus years ago. Um, and we work with a lot of manufacturers in terms of, you know, trying to get them to understand basic networking protocols. Um, you know, they're 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 not networking folks; they are device manufacturers, right? And so what we what we see of them is that they're picking up, you know, maybe it's open source, maybe they buy some code um, with a TCP IP stack in it, and they throw it in there to do to do network communications, right? I don't see this changing in the next three to five years. So while we know ultimately they will, it will all be encrypted, I don't think that's going to happen uh, anytime soon. That said, we we also have um, we call it manufacturer um, a universal descriptor or or MUD, um, which is a, a very interesting name. Um, and again, we we we've talked to manufacturers about this, but really what MUD is. It's a certificate, for lack of a better term, that manufacturers can actually place on these IoT devices, right? When this device then connects onto the network, even if all the encryption of the traffic is encrypted, it can present out what it should be, right? Again, Xerox printer communicates on this ports, right? Needs access to to these IP addresses. And then you can potentially uh, create a policy uh, based upon that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen seen, uh, IoT manufacturers shop for where they kind of ignore a lot of things. I saw one that they hard-coded IP addresses right into the devices, which, yeah. which doesn't help. Yeah. I, I don't, listen, I know some, they're, they're nice folks, but if you ask them to, to spell TCP IP, they're going to have a, they're going to have a problem doing that at, at the end of the day. Exactly. So, yeah. This, this, I mean, I mean, I go back to, to, um, 
MAC address lists and having to hit OUIs in order to identify, you know, vendors and things like that, right? I mean, that's feels feels to me like we've come a, a little bit of a way since then anyway. Yeah, Darren, I think to that point, I mean, we do see one of the things that we have done is, uh, since you mentioned MAC addresses and OUIs, um, obviously we, we do that, but we do it more, um, uh, we do it for you now. Right, Darren. We we don't we don't say, hey, this is an Apple OUI. This is a you know Lenovo OUI. Uh, we have that. We ultimately have that that logic built in. But it kind of segues into what we're doing from a device discovery perspective on the machine learning side. And so in the you know prior to endpoint analytics, there's always a certain number of unknowns on a network. And and what we can do is is take not just you know Mac Mac address OUI, but also different characteristics of that device. Right whether it be, again, you know, DHCP with certain ports, and we can start to classify those devices um, for you, right? So we can say, hey, listen, Darren, here's a set of devices that we've seen on the network um, that, quite frankly, you may, you may want to classify. Additionally, we've gone one step further, and we've said, we've also seen some other devices over here, again, we'll pick on the IP cameras, that are IP cameras that have a lot of similarities to these, you know, to these unknowns. You know, would you like to now classify these as as IP cameras? And so, a lot of the the basics, I guess, Darren, are are, are still the same in how we're identifying them. I think what we've done over the past, quite frankly, decade is try to automate a lot of that for our customers yeah. to make it easier. Yeah, and that's that's the, I guess that's what we're all trying to do now, isn't it? Is, yeah. is trying to just make things that little bit easier by by taking the intelligence that we've accumulated over right. uh, over a period of time and. And automate it. So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So Justin, we've talked a lot about detection now. What about the other elements of the solution? Like how can we prevent certain patterns then? How can we prevent certain access? Yeah, I mean again, there's a number of tools that we we have in the Cisco portfolio um, that it can allow customers better visibility into the both access. Um, and and traffic patterns. If we start with access, you know, ultimately, again, you know, ICE is network access control um, and can you know provide granular access. Uh, Duo from Cisco is you know a uh, a very good solution from a user perspective in order to you know making sure that user really is who that user says they is, right? And so this is really around. And I know, you know, there's kind of the UEB angle of this as well to a certain extent, right? We're able to do an MFA from a certain location, you know, say it's in the US versus, you know, maybe we see a request come in from, you know, out of the country when we know that user, especially with COVID, probably probably isn't traveling. And so we do have ability, at least on the access side, to understand kind of where that user is located, the device that they're on, right? And then also, you know, if that user is who they say they are. Um, using Duo. From a traffic pattern perspective, um, network analytics, StealthWatch, as I think most people know it by, um, is really the tool in the in the Cisco portfolio that allows us to, to understand what's happening in the network. And I think in addition to you know, some things I was talking about from an anomaly perspective, right, if you if you look at StealthWatch, it has the ability to, you know, are you going to a command and control server, right? Are you are you potentially again, you know, sending traffic 
that is anomalous to to a certain device. And so those are really the two. From an access perspective, it's really around Duo. And from an anomaly perspective, especially when it comes to the network, StealthWatch network uh, analytics are other tools that Cisco has. And Cisco also has their endpoint protection solution. Correct. Right on the laptop. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, the endpoint, so AMP, right? AMP for endpoints. AMP, Form, um, formerly AMP, I believe. <laughs> formerly, formerly, formerly known as AMP. Endpoint protection um, is, so there's a couple of things in endpoint protection, right? Um, you know, really what, AMP is doing, oh, endpoint protection, sorry, I'm still calling it AMP. What endpoint protection is doing is looking at files, how these files come in, right? And and what is there potentially a malware package that is being delivered in that file, right? Obviously very important. Um, you know, a lot of the, the ransomware attacks ha- happen with some sort of phishing campaign, right? A user clicks on a link, they download a file, they open the file, the malware, you know, ultimately extracts from there. And that's where AMP, uh, can come in um, and and really help protect uh, users from endpoint uh, protection. Can really can really help users uh, help, with... help help users protect from users. <laughs> yeah, La- layer eight, yeah, layer eight's the hardest thing to try and deal with. Always. That is that is exactly right. But then, but then of course, it's all about from from what we've said, segmentation, right? Being able to then should a user um accidentally um do something they shouldn't and the uh, endpoint protection hasn't stopped them yeah then you've got something that's infected exactly as to a, it, segmentation is what protects you we've talked about the sort of we've talked about um how we detect or or, or what that, that that classification process looks like segmentation itself i mean what uh, we, again, we we said about the static stuff, the, the creating groups and so on. How actually is that deployed? I mean, this is an area where I'm a little bit gray. Uh, is a bit of a gray area for me. So, so we have a number of solutions at Cisco that allow you to 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 do segmentation. I think um, the traditional way has been through, and we talked about ACLs, right? Where you're you're looking at ACLs with IP addresses. Um, and, you know, using that as a kind of a permit deny. And so I used to go do a lot of presentations back when we were able to get together uh, in person and we would show this kind of IPL, IPACL table. And I would say, raise your hand if you've ever deleted an, uh, an ACL. <laughs> and no one, no one would ever raise their hand because nobody knows what that ACL does. Even if it had a zero hit count, right? You're not going to delete it because somebody put it in there for a reason. And if you delete, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to get hit. And so we've moved away from that and we're leveraging, you know, security group tags now. And so what we're trying to do is tie, uh, you know, contextual information into this, this tag-based concept, right? Um, we, we like to, you know, SGACLs are, are really, again, they're an instantiation of a number of different contextual elements. And so we can now deploy these SGACLs into the network to say, you know, this tag, and we, we do it with numbers, right? So tag 22, again, allows Darren certain access to certain things, right? And so that's how we're, we're, we're doing it today. And then we've actually, with software-defined access, we've taken it one step further. And so we now have this the fabric um, that can be used to do segmentation. Um, and really the fabric, if you think of it like a, like a VRF, Right, and so you know, we, you can route between them. You can choose not to route between them. That's really up to you. But we're really creating, I would say, a more secure kind of layer two, um, uh, a segmentation uh, policy. And then on top of that, we call that macro segmentation. And then on top of that, we can layer on what we call micro segmentation in in terms of the the SGTs. 
it, segmentation really helps a lot more with the IoT stuff because you can say, okay, like we talked before, the IP camera should only be re- talking to the recording exactly. server. Exactly. Printer should only be talking to the print server. Mm-hmm. So we can do security group tagging uh, specific to those. You know, the user, the boss's laptop tends to go wherever it wants. That's exactly right. <laughs> and and that that's where exactly the, the right. agents the agents are more important. Because right. you can't put an agent on that camera or the printer, yeah. but the boss definitely needs that agent because he might open any email and click <laughs> on any link. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, th- I think it's this combination, isn't it, of, of the macro segmentation and the micro segmentation and getting the balance right there is is probably the trick as a as a as a networker um to, to understand where where that those lines are. Um but yeah, it's I guess all of the dynamic stuff ties back, as you said, to the SGTs. Right. The SGTs are then doing that micro-segmentation for yeah. you, aren't they, in effect? And, yeah, and I think I think there's... I mean, we, we talked a little bit about how how granular you, you want to get. I mean, I think the... You know, another piece of this is even if you don't get super granular, you can do... There's things you can do relatively simply, right? You know, again, should IoT devices be talking to one another, right? And And that's when we see this kind of lateral spread of malware. It's when device A can talk to device B, can talk to device C, right? And so looking for places in your network, we can say there's, there should be no communication between these devices. These devices have one purpose, which is to talk, you know, and it may be a firewall, right? It may be that's their default gateway. That's where they talk, but no other communication should be allowed. It's it's like the the uh, the legendary um, heater in the fish tank thing, right? Where you've uh, you've got the uh, some someone yes. someone manages yes. to, to attack attack <laughs> that that IoT sensor, and then the whole world is uh, is wide open yeah. to it. Yeah, and your fish are way too warm. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, a- attacking the the IoT thermostat. I think that was in Mister Robot. <laughs> So t- tell me, what about end-user behavior analytics? Are you, do you guys doing anything there? We're, we're doing a little. Um, we're doing a little there. I know Duo is 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 certainly doing uh, is certainly doing some. Um, I think I, I touched on it a little bit before, right? In terms of you know, are you in a certain location? Are you a certain person, right? And and you know, should you actually be? Uh, is this I would say typical um, typical behavior for for that user? Um, but I mean, honestly, there's not, it's not a lot that, that my team personally, um, is involved with. Go talk to the duo people. Yeah. They'll be happy to talk to you guys. And they're, and they're great folks, by the way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm from the Midwest originally, uh, and I live in California now, uh, cause I work at Cisco, but the, all the duo folks are from the Midwest. They're, they are just about the nicest people you'll ever meet. So the, the one other thing I did notice on the, uh, in the slides, uh, that we were reading to prepare for this was, was some, uh, interesting integration with CMDBs and, and mm. this sort of thing about being able to extract. So, so, and this is one a th- thing that I'm really interested in is this idea of sharing data, um, around the operational ecosystem so right. that you've got consistency. Um, and I, th- I find this, this quite interesting that, that we're, we're now sort of looking at reaching out into other, other platforms and pulling data through. Did you know much more about that? that yeah, definitely. So we look at there's a there's there's two main use cases um, for for the CMDB. We're we're implementing one of them today, and I can I don't want to talk roadmap, but I can tell you my no, thoughts no. on how on how CMDB should integrate. Um, but the what we're doing today is we're actually taking information from ServiceNow and using that to uh, to populate endpoint analytics, and so. This really is for companies that have a very solid CMDB 
process um, where you know a, a device or a laptop, you know, it gets it gets off the dock and they're and they're putting it right into right into ServiceNow with all the correct information. That's honestly, that's probably not the majority of customers that we see out there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was thinking that that implies that they're actually using ServiceNow for their CMDB and doing a good job with it. Right. Um, the 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 ask and again this I will the, the one thing I'll talk about roadmap is this is we are we're going to do a push from endpoint analytics back into ServiceNow right and so that again that's that's on the roadmap and something that will uh, ultimately will 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 push out and so you know collecting information again we talked about how you collect information and the tools we use to do that. It's very solid. It is the right information um, and allows us to, to accurately populate um, uh, a CMDB. And that was that's one of the things, you know, as we discussed this internally, it was like, well, what happens if somebody fat fingers, uh, you know, a MAC address or a device type or something like that? And so, again, we, we have most of the customers are actually saying, hey, I'm not, you know, my CMDB is OK, probably not accurate. Can you push information into it ultimately um, so that, you know, we have the right information. I think if we look at from the CMD, and we can talk more about contextual sharing of information as well. It's something that, that ICE has been doing for, for a number of years now. But if we look at from a, an, a workflow perspective, right, some of the things that, again, we've seen customers ask for is, you know, let's let's take kind of the, the life cycle of a, of a device, right? And so the device comes in, we profile it, right? Now we have to instantiate this, this group-based policy on this device. You know, open a ticket, right? So can we reach out to ServiceNow to actually open a ticket to say, what is the policy for this device? You have a security operator, security architect, whoever it may be, come in, say, this is the policy, right? Once that ticket is closed, it comes back into um, DNA Center, and then that policy can be instantiated. And so we're, in addition to, again, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of moving off device visibility, but what we really want to do, I think at the end of the day, is make sure we have the, 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 the right workflow so that we can make sure as these devices come in, they get they ultimately get the the, the right policy. Yeah, it, it's it's it sounds a little you know boring to some people, but I'm thinking being able to populate that CMDB it's a huge deal because a lot of a lot of people you know a lot of companies out there they might say we want to do a CMDB, but we already have deployed all these laptops and servers and whatever. How do right. we inter, you know how do we inter- inventory them and being able to actually populate it with hey guess this is already on your network. This is what yeah. I'm seeing. I, I think that's a really nice thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it, uh, it's a big thing in the automation space, right? Is this idea of having a source of truth of of knowing that there's a there's a database somewhere that's accurately reflecting the way that you want the network to be, and you've got to populate that initially with how the network is, and so that that for me is is really really important because it because then you can use that data elsewhere, you know, and and it opens up the whole ecosystem when that's squared away. Sorry, that's a bit of a bit of a hobby horse of mine, but uh, <laughs> it's really really good to see, really yeah, good to see. Yeah. It's definitely an issue. Um and no, we're 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 certainly uh, uh you know, on the path to make sure to make sure that happens. I mean, I think if we're on the kind of topic of information sharing, I mean, that's something uh, just to, you know, talk about the product for a minute. So we have, you know, PX Grid on ICE today. Um, we're actually, you'll see from us, uh, PX Grid Cloud, um, which is kind of the, the cloud way of, of sharing contextual information. And so we have over 80 partners that we integrate with, um, you know, Splunk, um, IBM Q Radar are probably the, you know, the, the SIM providers are, are probably the biggest. Um, and, and really from a security ecosystem perspective, it's super important, right? We integrate with competitors, right? 
um, where we really have, we tried to take a very open uh, stance on integration um, because we know customers are going to have a lot of different tools in their network. And then how do we make sure that they're sharing information with us? And quite frankly, we're, we're sharing information from them. That, that's, that's ultimately, that's every organization needs that, that collaboration, the ecosystem, because other, otherwise there are gaps appear. And, and we all know what managing networks when you can't see all of it. Um, right. We know what that's like. Yeah. Right? yeah. And when we look at the data um, from our customer base, we have about, you know, a fourth, about 25% of the customers are, are actually, we see them actually doing that today, which is a good number. Um, I, you know, you probably think it'd be a little bit higher, uh, but but it's um, it's a solid number. You say the same about network automation these days, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you'd you'd think it would be higher, but it's right. uh, people people are get coming around to the idea. So yeah, so so I guess back to the ransomware we were talking about earlier. So sure, so we have endpoint agents, so we can hopefully stop them when they come on the endpoint. We have mm-hmm. network analytics; it's looking at what's the actual traffic flows. Is your printer suddenly trying to uh, surf to Facebook when it shouldn't be? And then we have segmentation, so that way we can actually say, okay, if the printer does try to get to Facebook, it can't. Right. I think the one, and maybe the one other piece of this that is probably worth a little bit of a discussion on is um, trust analytics, right? And so what we've also developed for DNA Center is, you know, what is the what is the trust score of, of this device, right? And so, you know, this is important because we want to understand, again, you know, are, are we seeing anomalies? Are we not seeing anomalies? Is it in the baseline, right? Um, and we're really talking about IoT devices here. And, you know, this is this is a good way for for customers to be able to get a look at their network. And so we talked about understanding everything that's on your network. And then beyond that, we're also now giving customers that ability to say, this is where we think the trust level of those devices uh, ultimately are. And so I think, Evan, kind of to your to your question, it's, you know, we, we draw it as a circle when you when you see it on a slide, right? And so your level of trust, you know, it may be high. But something may happen in that network that ultimately then, you know, drops down that level of trust. And it kind of back to how we're offering customers the ability to, to, to remediate quickly. You, you can't look in there all day and see, hey, you know, do scans, do this, do that, right? This, the trust analytics product is, is, or solution, I should say, is, is really a way in which we can give customers better visibility into how their network stands today and ultimately what threats um, may be occurring. So, Justin, a question a little bit overall. What does Cisco better in that space than other vendors? What are the strong points? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, me personally, I think the the fact that we're the industry leader, you know, in, in switching routing and, and wireless, it really gives us access to that to that network data, right? And what that means is that we have that ability to look not only across, you know, Mark, your network, but your network, Evan, and, and Darren, your network as well, to, 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 to provide better security outcomes. And then what you've seen, certainly from you know, the security folks, you know, which I'm a part of the security team, as well as the networking team, is, is closer collaboration to try to you know, bring it more holistically to, to the customers. I think maybe, maybe five years ago, there was the networking and there was security. Um, well, we're starting to see that convergence of, of IT um, I should say network, network operators and security operators. Depending on what team you're on, right? If customers go with that Cisco solution, they can they can be you know very well set up to have the to have and and um, security solution and security architecture. 
All right. Well, this has been another phenomenal episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Thank you for listening in and joining us today. If you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.